good to see all of you today, and um, we're uh, hopefully uh, all of you, every one of you, would stop by and join us for lunch. Ten dollars for tacos or burritos. You can't beat that nowadays, right? Unless you're just eating at home. So it'll be a good deal. It'll be a good time to hang out um, and fellowship. So please join us afterwards. Uh, if you're in a community group, obviously you will be meeting uh, if your group is meeting today. So we're looking forward to um, spending some time together. You know, today we go into a story where Joseph is now being used by God. And Joseph, uh, the culmination of the story is he ends up saving the whole world around him. There's a famine that comes into the land. And by Joseph's guidance and God using him, he is able to provide food for all the neighboring nations. And literally, he is saving lives. And so he's being used in a great way. I'm sure all of you um, want to be used by God. Uh, the meaningful life is a life that is used by God. The life that is worth living is a life that is being used by God. The valuable life is not a life that is filled with an abundance of things. It is a person who is used by God. And so I hope that you would want to be used by God. Um, and yet, when we think about this, many of us feel inadequate, insufficient. Uh, we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. We don't have all the answers. We're not the smartest person. We're not the richest of people. And so you say, well, how am I supposed to be used by God? And today we're going to be looking at that story and learning about the person that God wants to use, qualities of a person that God will use. And we'll look at that story. You know, we, we see Joseph's life. Um, and what we see here today, we read just uh, four verses, but we look at the rest of chapter 41 and we see that he is called up by Pharaoh after spending time falsely in prison. Um, and then now he's called up to interpret these dreams. He not only gives the dreams, but he now gives Pharaoh guidance on what Egypt should do. And so when this is given, Pharaoh promotes him to be the number two man in all of Egypt. The number two. And so here he is from prison, obscure, ignored, forgotten, and now he is promoted to number two. And as he has received this promotion, he is being used by God. And literally after seven years, so there's seven years, seven years of abundance. They collect all the grain and food that they can and they store it to the point they cannot count it and keep track anymore. And then when the famine hits the land, all the world that is around them now come to Egypt asking for food. And so he is used by God in such a wonderful way. And so we're going to take a look at this. And God wants to use you. Uh, you might believe it. You might not. You might not want to believe it. But he wants to use you. Uh, you have become a Christian for the purpose here on earth to be used by God. Uh, many times we think about the end Oh, I get to go to heaven and be with the Lord. I get to be saved from judgment. And I get to be with the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. But here on earth, God has a plan to use you. And if you are in the process of being used, that is wonderful. And I want to encourage you to continue that. And improve on that if you can. What are the qualities? First of all, uh, we see from this story... That the person that God uses is someone who prioritizes God. Who puts God as number one. 
they don't have to reshuffle their priorities because God is always on top. And we hear it often from famous athletes and so on. They talk about, boy, it's faith, you know, family and friends and football. You know, it's all F's. Wow, it's, it's so easy to remember. Um, but really, that is the priority, that God has to be the purpose, the goal, the choices I make, the things that I do in everything, every big thing and every trivial thing, it is about God. Um, it says here, you know, Joseph lived in such a way that Pharaoh, who is not a believer of the living God, even he recognizes it. We ought to be making God so obviously the first in our lives that everyone around us knows, oh, what your priority is. You ever see a young couple in love? You see a newlywed, and you joke with them and say, oh, they're honeymooners. You can tell. They make it obvious who is number one, right? It is the person that they are now newly married to. And that's all they care about because they're number one. And everyone around can see that, right? When you are at that age and your friends are getting married and you can say, oh, man, they're in love. Oh, gosh, look at that guy. He is in love. And it's so evident that others can see. Joseph's priority of God was so evident that Pharaoh notices. And you see this in verse 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? He said, there's something inside of him. The Spirit of God is inside of him. We often don't talk enough about God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the, of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, the one who dwells in us, the one who guides us, the one who walks beside us. In different ways to describe God the Holy Spirit basically being with us. And God was a priority to him. You know, uh, Paul says in Galatians 5.25, this is how we ought to live by the Spirit. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. That little phrase, keep in step, or to walk with. It's a, a military word. It's a word to describe soldiers marching in cadence, following the person ahead. It's the soldier following their superior saying, which way shall we go? The tempo, the pace, the direction, all of it is dictated by someone in front. And literally you are stepping in their footprints as they go. And so now when Paul says in Galatians 5.25, what does it mean to be li to living by the Spirit? It is not something you feel one day or you, you conjure up one day or you go and you, you try to have God match what you want. No, it's he's God, the Holy Spirit, saying, come this way, and we are following, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And we're following behind him, and that's the picture we have. Romans eleven thirty six has this, and it speaks about God, that all things, right, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. Let that sink in for a moment. From him. And it is through him. God the Holy Spirit. It's through him. And it is unto him. Be all things. To him be glory forever. This is our life. This is the life of the Christian. It is everything we have is from him. And then God, we give it to him. It's through him. And ultimately it goes back to him. Our lives, our decisions, our worship. 
our relationships, our thoughts, our dreams, all of it is from him. We give it through him and it goes back to him. This was Joseph's priority. God was his number one. There are many things in life that compete with this. Um, and a lot of times people do not want to talk about God when it comes to my life. And uh, people sometimes even get offended when you talk about, oh, marriage, money, because we feel like these are my things. But if God is the priority, it's in the important things, raising children, that we ought to do it now for God, through God, unto God. we got to ask God as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, as a Christian parent, as a Christian spouse, as a Christian worker here, how can I bring glory to God in all, this, all that I do? I was taking a class up in uh, Regent uh, Seminary up in Vancouver, a uh, class on Proverbs and the Wisdom Books, in one of the summers that I went up to study. And the class was about uh, 80 people or so, and uh, next to me was a gentleman sitting, um, and he was by far the oldest. He looked older than the professor, you know, so I kind of noticed him. And uh, we were chit-chatting before the class had begun. And he asked me where I was from, what I was doing, and uh, he was interested. And I, then I asked him, his name was Tom. Uh, Tom was a, a just retired, he was a Chinese-American man. Um, he was an uh, anesthesiologist, he just retired. And so I thought maybe he was a pastor, maybe he was a... Uh, uh, some kind of in Christian official ministry. He says, no, he says, I, I, I'm retired. Because I just retired a little bit ago. I guess. But, and something he said struck a nerve in me, and it also humbled me quite a bit. And I said, well, what are you doing here? Right? In the class we had, uh, some of you have been to Vancouver. You picture a beautiful area, you know, the water and the trees and all that. The class that they put us in was in the basement of the school. So the ceiling felt extra low. It felt claustrophobic. Uh, some of us were still wearing masks and things during that time. I said, why would you want to spend your retirement summer here? You know, what, what are you doing here? And he said something that I still remember. He said, I want to learn God's word because it helps me to know and love God better. And then he asked me, why are you here? You know, I said, yeah, same thing, man. <laughs> yeah, see, that's a good one. Let me write that down, Tom. Yeah, uh, yeah, same thing. Um, Here's a guy, I'm assuming, he made a lot of money, he's educated, uh, now he has worked hard for his whole life and he wants to come and learn so he could know God better and love him more. Um, it is humbling to think about people like that. You know, in Joseph's life, in chapter 39 through 50, God is mentioned uh, 39 times. It's like every part of it, God is mentioned. It's interesting because there are sections of the Bible where God is never mentioned. But here in the life of Joseph, God is mentioned every single time of his life. Um, in the text that we're looking at in chapter 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You go back a little bit in Potiphar's home when he is falsely accused. What does he say? 39.9. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except because of you are his wife. How 
then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 41.16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 42.18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. 50, verse 19, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? And so he makes it clear. Am I the most important person? No, God is the priority. Who do I fear? I fear God. And he gives a reassurance. This is to his brothers who, is afraid, who are afraid for their lives because what they did to him. Who am, I, who, who am I to fear? I fear God. Don't worry. God is the priority of my life. God wants to use you. In order for God to use you, you have to put him first. Or before we know it, in subtle ways, you know who will be the number one in our lives? It'll be us. My timing, my temperament, my life, my desires, my interests, my loves. And all of those things will now trump the things of God. God's interests, God's timing, God's loves. And so we put God first. Secondly, we, we serve people. We put people above us. We have to understand that we are now servant leaders, not just leaders. Um, and so we are called to serve, serve people in this way. As I read this story, and as we are going through this, you can imagine, um, and maybe I, I was reading this, but I was in Joseph's place, and I had gone through all this injustice. I had been left for dead. Uh, my brothers wanted me dead. They told my father that I was dead. Um, I was sold as a slave. Um, I was falsely accused. I was imprisoned for something I didn't do. I was left there to rot. And I was forgotten in jail. And finally, I made it out. And finally, I'm getting my due. I would be tempted, as maybe many of us, to say, it's about me. It's about me. God, thank you. Oh, now I get to take it easy. I deserve this. I deserve some people to serve me. You, we think about, in today's day and age, we think about someone who is a leader. We often think, boy, they have influence. That means a lot of people follow them. They oversee a lot of people. They have a lot of power. They, people serve them. But the Christian perspective of a leader is, no, they serve the people. And the moment he is given this platform, the moment that God has opened up these doors, he goes to work for the people. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 41 of our text. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. This happens so quickly when you read this. He goes from prison, he, he gets pulled up, and now he is second in charge. You remember the story a little while back when they were in, the, in prison and it was now the cupbearer and the chief baker and they were supposed to remember him and they forgot him. Maybe the first thing I do is go after them. Oh, you remember me. Oh, you get what's coming to you. You're going to go back to prison. You forgot about me. He doesn't go after them. He doesn't go after his family. He goes to serve. Verse 46 
Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. From the moment that he is now exalted by Pharaoh, it happened so quickly. You don't hear, Moses doesn't record what Joseph said or thought because he was a man that was going to go serve. A servant doesn't have too many opinions. The servant knows his role. The servant knows what she ought to be doing and who she is caring for. And Joseph goes to work. He entered the service, uh, went through all the land of Egypt, and he goes out in this way. Uh, This week, um, Pastor Tim Keller had passed away. Um, Many of you know who he is. Uh, He was probably one of the most influential pastors um, in this generation. Um, His church was in New York, um, and uh, through his writings and speaking and so on, has influenced so many. To be frank, I've heard so many, like, imitated sermons and stuff like that, right, over the years. And it was a sign of flattery um, because of that. And someone, a, a friend of mine was texting me about that when he had heard. And uh, we were texting how, boy, these giants of faith are all passing away, how life seems to be speeding up. Um, And then at the conclusion of our text, one of the things that we shared was, man, we have to live and care for the people who are in our our vicinity. And I want to share that with you. You know, Christian ministry, we in the Western world have made it a profession. I am entering into ministry. It goes even on the occupation. What is your occupation? And there's a section, clergy. People ask, what do you do for a living? They ask me, which is always a fun answer when I give them. I'm a pastor. And then there's always a reaction. Oh, man, I apologize for that last joke. Or I apologize for this. I used to go to church, you know. And I hear all sorts of reactions. I remember years back, me and Sharon went to look for a car salesman. Trying to make small talk, and I didn't. I was like, I was like, don't ask me what I do, right? It was a Sunday afternoon. I wanted to just test drive a car and leave. And he said, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm a pastor," you know. And he said, "What? I'm a pastor." And then he said, "Oh!" And literally, he confessed his whole life to me for an hour. (laughs) I said, "I just want to see if there's an automatic. I just want to see the option on that." And he shared his whole life. Um, And I said, "Does that?" I mean, I get a discount? No, no discount, right? Um, but I share that with you. All of you are called to serve. All of you are to add value to people, as John Maxwell always talks about. All of you encounter people. The people that, who are in your lives today, your family, your neighbors, your kids' friends, your coworkers, uh, your friends at church, and you have a handful. And these, it's right now. Because in a year from now, it'll be a different group of people. Five years from now, many of them will be out of your circle of influence. And I want to encourage you to now go and serve them. Take care of them. Add value to them. Listen to them. Give attention to them. Have the mindset of a servant, not of a leader who now uses people. No, you say, God, use me for your people. There was a book, uh, Alan Lutz, 
uh, L-U-K-S, he had written a book called The Healing Power of Doing Good, and literally talks about the physical, how it physically helps us when we serve other people, and some of the benefits that are mentioned. Uh, when we serve others, right, it strengthens your immune system, uh, decreasing intensity awareness of physical pain, activating positive emotions, reducing negative attitudes, enhances functioning of various body systems. It helps us physically, literally. It's almost like we, are we created to do this? Yes, we are. As Ephesians 2.10 tells us, you were created to do good works. So that's why it feels good to go and help someone. That's why even watching a video of someone helping someone makes me feel good. Now it makes sense. We were created in this way. It is Max Lucado said, no one could do everything, but everyone is called to do something. No one could do everything, but everyone is called to do something. Um, for the person that God uses, thoroughly, God uses all of our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. All of it is his. When you see this little phrase here in verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. As you've been coming to church and going through this. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? This is the exact thing Joseph's heard in different contexts. When he was uh, with, uh, sold as a slave to Potiphar. Potiphar in 39.4, right, made him overseer of his house, put him in charge of all that he had. Um, when he is falsely imprisoned, he goes to prison, 39-22, keeper of the prison, put Joseph in charge again. And so it's a, a pattern, and it's not just, it's his work experience, it's his leadership experience, it's all of his pains and hurts. He was abandoned, hated, forgotten, and it's all of that God uses. And I want to challenge and encourage you and remind you really God uses all of the stuff your good stuff your bad stuff your ugly stuff all of it he uses Psalm 119 91 by your appointment they stand this day for all things are your servants that last phrase for all things are your servants speaking to God it's like all of my things in my life the good, the bad, the failures, the successes, all of it are a servant to God. God uses it. And so whatever it is that you have had, whatever disappointments and tears that you have shed, whatever joys and celebrations you celebrated, all of it God uses. It's his servants. He's using it in you to do his will. And so we Go forth and we serve. And God uses all that we have. The late Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite authors, has a phrase, he calls it, that he says we need to have a dependent discipline. A dependent discipline. What he means is that God preserves us. There's nothing you can do to lose what you have in God. But yet at the same time, we participate in the preservation. He won't let us go. But at the same time, we 
serve and we work and we live and God uses all of our lives and he uses us. God uses people. And God uses frail, broken people to go do his work. And in order to do God's work, we need to have courage to act. You got to have courage to act. If you don't have courage, you talk a lot. If you don't have courage, uh, you procrastinate. If you don't have courage, you might dream, you might be a critic. You'll talk about people, you'll talk about ideas, but the person that has courage knows what they ought to do, and they go and do it. Oh, God wants me to help serve in the church? They go and do it. God wants me to go and reach out to my neighbor? They'll walk across the street. This takes courage. It is often in the fear and the insecurities that we have that we fail to act. We think, what if they reject us? What if I say something dumb? Uh, what if I'm stuck and I, I go to this thing and there's a bunch of people I don't want to be with? We become selfish. But we act in courage. Uh, Joseph here, verse 41 and on, right? Just look how quickly everything's happening. And he goes to work. It says, and Joseph said to, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Now let's pause here for a second. This is happening all so fast. In our youth, we might look at this as, this is great. This is wonderful. But some of us, as we are getting older, we look at this, this is kind of scary, isn't it? There's a lot of pressure now on Joseph. Because as quickly as they have exalted him, they will tear him down. We, we already know. Because if after seven years there is no famine and all the food goes to waste, it's going to be his neck on the line. And there is all this pressure and all the eyes are on him. It is far easier, safer to just lay low and do nothing. But he puts him out there. He goes to work and as Moses writes, it happens so quickly. Last week, I went into Ashley's room as she was studying for her final. And she had her lecture, which was online, on. And it was at, like, it felt like it was times three. I mean, it was going so fast, right? And those of you old enough to remember the chipmunks, it sounded like the chipmunks. Some of you are like, wow, why is he referring to an animal? Well, anyways, and the teacher said, I don't think my brain could keep up at two times. I could go one and .25 maybe, right, on the, on the speed of it. And really, when you look at this, it, it's, it's going so fast. I think it's because Joseph had no excuses. Joseph had courage, and he just went to work. And so as Moses writes the story of Joseph, he says, let me get to the point. This is what he did. There were no excuses. There were no let me think about it. There was no deliberation. There was no let me evaluate my own self. He just went into it. And the more I have gone through this, as I was going through this text, I was like, this is courage. This is scary, right? If someone thrusts you into this kind of power and position and responsibility, it's a I don't know if I want this. But he takes this. 
Many of you know the story of uh, Elizabeth Elliot in her younger days, married to Jim Elliot, and here's a little picture here. Uh, her and you know their family and a group of young people from Wheaton had gone to Ecuador to share the gospel with the Aukin Indians who were described as primitive. Um, they, they, they were living in the wilderness and they had no contact with the outside world and they had gone. And the famous story of Jim Elliot and the others who were, went to go reach out and they were speared to death and they were killed by the Aukin Indians. And the story of Elizabeth Elliot is that she goes back to the Auckland Indians, to the people who had taken her husband's life. She goes back with her toddler daughter. She goes back with another woman, and they go back, and they initiate contact again. And this was on Life magazine. This was on every publication out there because of this act. And eventually she makes contact, and she gets to know the people. They share the gospel, and the people come to faith. So the late Elizabeth Elliot writes in her uh, story of what happened through the gates of splendor. She talks about serving others, and she has, there's a quote I want to share with you. She says, do you often feel like parched ground, unable to produce anything worthwhile? And it says it so well. And I think many of us, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I do. When I'm in need of refreshment, it isn't easy to think of the needs of others. But I have found that if instead of praying for my own comfort and satisfaction, I ask the Lord to enable me to give to others, an amazing thing often happens. I find my own needs wonderfully met. Refreshment comes in ways I would never have thought of, both for others and then incidentally for myself. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.10, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it. So here's the story of Joseph being used by God. And this is uh, at a picture of the one who is to come, Jesus Christ. As you read the story, you say, boy, this, this is someone who is going to come next to him, after him, through his lineage. It is at the age of 30 that he is called up and given this new position. It is at the age of 30 the Lord Jesus started his earthly ministry. And it is at this point where he gathers in the nations, hear the good news when they are about to die, that they now have food as they come to Joseph. And this gives us a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now gives us the good news, and he says, the world and let the nations, let the people be glad as they come to him. Hear the good news. The dying, starving world in need of more than just grain, but in need of the bread of Christ, the living water. And this is a picture of him. And isn't it humbling to think somehow in the midst of that, I'm in this part of history. I'm in some part of this. Our little children here, they're in a part of this. They're this next generation, and they're, they're kind of in this story now. And we're grafted in into this story. And it would be an honor and a joy to say, God, use me. And what little insignificant thing I can do, God, here I am. And it is Elizabeth Elliot who said, 
that one cannot surrender their lives in a moment. It takes a lifetime of surrendering to surrender a life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want you to think radically. Don't think selfishly. Give your life. And don't do it for a week or a year or a life chapter or a state. All of your life. If you're going to say, I'm going to give up my life, it's every day of your life. And give it up to God and say, God, use me. Help me to be used by you. And when the opportunity comes to be used, and Satan whispers in your ear, hey, what about you? They should serve you. You mean you have to help others? What about you? He will say that to us. And we will magnify God and the joy that we have and the ability to serve and to shut Satan out and say, it is about God as my priority, serving others. And he will use all of my life, the good and the bad. And so I will act. I will go, and what is God calling you to? Who is he calling you to? I want to encourage you with that as you're scarfing down your burrito today. And you see that VBS table, and there's little kids looking. <laughs> You're going to say, oh, it's stuck. Lord, the carne asada is stuck. Maybe I need a help, right? Or whatever it is. Uh, may God use you in a, in a big, big way. Uh, what, a, what a privilege that is, isn't it? Let's pray together. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you that you use humble, inadequate people like us, often unfaithful, often selfish, and yet your grace keeps reminding and changing us. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we look to you and we thank you. So, God, would you use us in what little we have, what little we know, Lord, that is our prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.